Amen. All righty. Hey, uh, it's been called one of the biggest exterminations in modern history, and it was spawned by a belief in, guess what? Evolution. Can you believe that? It's almost like that's a dangerous, deadly lie, okay? Now, here's what happened. It happened to the aboriginal people in the land down under. In 1870, an evolutionary anthropologist, a guy named Max Mueller, he had divided the human race into seven categories, and it just so happens that the aborigines fell at the bottom of his list. Kind of like what Hitler did with the Jews we saw uh, last time. Remember that? This guy did the same thing, but with the aboriginals. And so as a result of this racist, ruthless, savage view, a terrible massacre began with the goal of exterminating them. Listen to this. Aboriginal heads were nailed over station doors. Poisoned bread was given to their families to kill them. Uh, In many parts of Australia, aboriginal settlements completely disappeared within just 50 years. And believe it or not, they weren't just killed because they were thought to be an inferior race. Listen, they were killed to help support the theory of evolution. They wanted their skulls. Now, not only were the local police, but even the locals uh, given instructions on how, from the evolutionists, on how to rob their graves and plug up bullet wounds and freshly killed specimens. These are people. In fact, in a, a New South Wales a missionary records and was horrified to witness an aboriginal slaughter by mounted police of dozens of aboriginal men, women, and children. Forty-five heads were boiled down. The ten best skulls were packed off overseas for displays for evolution. In fact, Charles Darwin, listen to this. This is, this is yeah, this is the word. This is uh, wild. He says Charles Darwin himself wrote, and he asked specifically for Tasmanian skulls, uh, 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 when only four of the island's original aborigines were left alive, quote, provided his request would not upset their feelings. <laughs> yeah, and believe it or not, the demand hasn't completely stopped today. Listen to this. Aboriginal bones have still been sought by major institutions in the United States as evidence for evolution. In fact, the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. still has thousands of them on hand in their facility. Now, folks, once again, I don't know about you, but how come they don't show that on the History Channel, Nature Channel? Why don't you do a special on that? The Aboriginal slaughter. Because I think it's obvious, folks, this lie called evolution is not only a hoax and a lie, it's deadly, and it produces deadly consequences, racism and, as we see, even genocide, because these people are inferior, so treat them like an animal. Okay, that's exactly what's going on, and that's why I don't think you're ever going to see it on TV. In fact, I like what one guy says, man, you keep this kind of stuff up, and they do, unfortunately, and it becomes the the basis for all kinds of evil behavior. We need to stop calling this evolution. We need to call it evolution, because that's what it spawns. What you believe determines how you behave, and if you got this idea that there is no God, then you're going to act like it, aren't you? And that's exactly where we're going to continue our study, uh, the witness of creation. And what we're doing, again, is taking a look at different evidences that God's left behind for us, showing us that he's not just real, praise God, but we really can have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Anybody excited? Yeah, praise God. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, hey, Mario, I'm real. Now just stare at me. Right? Hey, no. He sent his son so we can have a relationship with him. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. And God went uh, 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 around and he showed us that evidence. And the first one is he showed it through an evidence of an intelligent creation or intelligent design. The second one we saw was the evidence of a young creation. We have not been here for millions and millions of years. That's a lie. And then the last four times we saw the third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. And what we've been seeing is the great news from the Bible anyway, is that we are a special creation. We have been created, the Bible says, for a special purpose to have a special relationship with a special God. That's good news, right? That's worth getting out of bed, okay? 
The problem is, evolution, as we know, teaches the exact opposite. They say, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You came from nothing, you are nothing, and when you die, hey, nothing. And you wonder why nobody wants to get out of bed and go to work, okay? And what we've been seeing is this, that's bad enough, okay? The problem is, it's not just hopeless, that's hopeless, okay? But the whole premise of that belief is based on hoaxes. I mean, one thing was true, we had to just deal with it, but it's not. Okay, and so far we've not only seen the supposed evolution of people is a bunch of baloney, the ape man stuff. Evolution of animals with the horse and whale evolution, that's a bunch of baloney. We also saw uh, uh, natural selection, that's a bunch of baloney. And last time if you were here, we saw that embryology was a bunch of baloney. And the reason why is because we are just belligerent Christians and we just can't, we are non-scientific and we just are stubborn and pig-headed and we, no. It's not just we disagree because the Bible obviously says something different. We've done our homework and we checked it out. And what we saw is when you look at the facts with this belief called embryology of evolution, it's got some serious problems. Problems with the theory, problems with the evidence. Liar. Been proven a lie 140 years ago. Can you believe that? And they still put it in textbooks today. Problem with the quotes and problems with the belief as we saw. This is also a deadly lie. This not just is what Hitler used to justify the uh, evolution, the slaughter of the Jewish people, but it's being used today to slaughter the new Holocaust, 57 million children in the United States. It's all from this lie called embryology, okay? 1.344 billion children have been murdered because of this lie since 1980. Now, you know why the guy said, stop calling it evolution, call it evolution, because that's what it produces, okay? Uh, but that's not all. You might be thinking, okay, supposed animals and people evolution, this embryology, natural selection, it's a bunch of baloney. But uh, what about some of those other mechanisms they come up with, right? They always push this one down your throat. What about mutations, right? How many of you guys mutated lately? All, none of you. Praise God, you didn't raise your hand. That's good. Okay, or are these things called vestigial organs, right? As you can see, ours disappear because it's vestigial. No wrong kind of organ, Aaron. I know you're thinking that. That's not what it is. Okay, well, what about that stuff? Well, once again, before we get into that, let's get reacquainted with the biblical answer for where life came from. Let's take a look at both sides, and then let's see who wins the game, so to speak. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27, okay? Let's take a look at uh, where life came, at least according to the Bible, all right, as we discover uh, who wins, so to speak. Jeremiah, if you find Jeremiah, what do you do? Tell him to get in here. Service has started. Him and that Isaiah guy, they're always joking around, Mario, I tell you. But Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 1 through 6, let's take a look. When you get there, say moo. Ooh, that's a light moo. I better stall for time. It's Vegas. All right, I snapped enough. All right, John, you're there. Say moo. Man, only one more of you. All right, let's just get going. Uh, chapter 27, verse 1 says this. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, uh, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Now, then send word to the kings of Edom and Moab and Amnon and Tyre and Sidon and through uh, the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what who? The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Okay, tell this to your masters. With a complete accidental uh, thing, a, a random chance explosion, this cosmic blob blew up into everything that we see today. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm wrong translation. 
Uh, this is what Almighty God, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my God's great power and outstretched arm, I, God, made the earth and its what? Its people and the animals, okay, that are on it. And so since he made everything, guess what? He's got the authority to do whatever he wants with it. It's his creation, and that's what he says. Uh, he says, uh, uh, I made it, all that's on it, and so I give it to you and anyone I please. Now, I will hand all, uh, uh, he says, I'll hand all your countries over to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land, uh, land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. Okay, so he gets his little time frame, but God obviously knows the beginning from the end. And he knows how long he's going to ask. But God is the one who gives it to him because God is what? He's the sovereign God. He's the one who made everything. And he says there specifically, he has alone the power to create all of life. From the heavens to the humans to the plants to the animals, everything, right? Okay, and again, he made it so he gets to make up the rules and does whatever he wants to do. But again, the problem is, what does evolution teach and try to drill into our heads? Do they say that God is the one who stretched out his arm and brought us into being, as he clearly says here? Oh, and by the way, I'm bringing up on purpose multitudes of passages outside the Genesis account. And the reason why is because this evidence of God and the scripture declaring emphatically that God is the creator of all life isn't just in the Genesis account. It's all over the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, okay? This should not be a shock to us as Christians that God is very emphatic that he is the creator of all of life. But again, I digress. The problem is the evolution says that God is not the one who stretched out his arm and brought us into being, that it was just a blind luck in some primordial ooze, right? Okay, so the problem is that doesn't mix, right? So, but again, we're belligerent Christians and we're non-scientific, so we're gonna stop there. No, that's what they say of us, right? So, so in all fairness, we took a look at the scriptural account of what the Bible says, where did life come from, all right? So let's take a look at uh, this other account of who supposedly gave us birth, as evolution would say. And the first one that they say that gave us birth is this issue of mutation, okay? Now, you can tell right there that they're deadly, they're dangerous, and they're demonic, okay? It's your three Ds. And for you interns, that's three Ds for your three-point sermon. If you can't make that preach, you ain't got no preaching yet, okay? I'm here to help you out. Okay, so obviously mutations are deadly, and, uh, but let's take a look at uh, the issue there uh, that's going there. How many of you guys realize that's not real? Okay, I just had to say that so you can go to sleep at night, all right? And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at these mutations, and here's how the premise goes, okay, if you're not familiar with it. But evolutionists believe over millions and millions and millions of years that supposedly there was millions and millions and millions of what they call beneficial mutations, right? Beneficial mutations is a word that have given rise to everything that we see today. That explains how you started from nothing and boom, all this. Mutations is the answer, okay? And what they believe is they say, quote, maybe, perhaps, an early fish might have accidentally grown a new beneficial kind of fin to help it swim faster. Now, did that happen in the book of Nemo? The cartoon, the little guy had his little special fin. He couldn't swim faster, wrong. It, didn't, it wasn't beneficial. And we all know that was true. No, it's not. I'm joking. Okay, but anyway, but excuse me. Okay. Uh, or they say, no, no, no. It's just, uh, or maybe perhaps, this is really what they believe with this mutation thing, that maybe a fish fins mutated, I'm not making this up, into legs. And that's what happened, Dom. That's how we got out there onto the beach that first day. It was a mutation. 
And, and I'm not making this up. Carl Sagan actually said this. He said, the evolution of life on earth is a product of random events. Listen, he says, chance mutations and individual unlikely steps. And another evolutionist said this. He said, the process of mutations, he puts it all on the line, okay? He says, the process of mutations is the only known source of new genetic variability, hence proof for evolution. So how many guys would say they're resting a lot on this whole idea of mutation somehow producing evolution and being a benefit for us? Okay, that's exactly what they're doing, okay? But the question is, is this true? Did it take millions and millions of years uh, of these so-called beneficial mutations to produce all of life we see today. Now, now, why do we disagree? Is it just because the Bible says so? Well, first of all, that is your prime authority, yes. Okay, but we're going to do some homework, and you're going to see with your own eyes, let's examine this thing and see that, folks, once again, I know this is a shocker, but it's a lie. Okay, and the first reason why this mutation thing is a lie because there's a problem with the theory. Okay, let's take a look at how it's supposed to work, and let's put it to the test. Okay, once again, it's a bunch of baloney. First of all, you got what I call the damage problem. This is common sense, or at least I think. But evolutionists believe that not only have mutations caused evolution to take place, but again, they believe that these mutations are beneficial to the organism, right? And uh, somehow, as you can see here, Joey didn't do too well. Now, praise God for plastic surgery. Hey, dude, you're doing way better, right? Okay. But you can tell that Joey, he wasn't helping out. He couldn't get a date. He was lonely. But he's here. He's doing, thank you. You know all right, right, well, here, try a piece of gum. Maybe that'll help you. But, uh, but anyway, but, but no, I mean, obviously it uh, didn't help Joey. He's doing better, as we can see, but let's move on. It's now known that, hello, mutations do not help an organism. They damage the organism. They mutilate the organism. They kill it. Okay, it's ridiculous. It's not beneficial. For instance, though, evolutionists thought that they had a major breakthrough back in 1928 when uh, x-rays were discovered because this allowed them to artificially speed up the mutation process. Right? So now they can create them with x-rays. They're going to x-ray them and create mutations and things. And they, you know, in nature where they might have one random so-called mutation, now they can instantly manufacture millions of them and focus them on just one organism and just fry that baby with x-rays and produce evolution because this is true, right? No, not at all. The results, what they discovered is mutations were not beneficial. They were detrimental. Okay, for instance, the mutations they did cause with x-rays damaged the organism so bad that most of them what? die okay we all know that x-rays are not good for you now if you don't know that pay attention the next time you get an x-ray at the procedure first of all they 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 give you this gown thing that never really closes in the back and you feel kind of weird and vulnerable and then you try to hug the wall so nobody could see because you can't get it really tight right next thing you know what they do they take you this room right and they put you on this like a table device that's made of, of stainless steel that they just got out of the freezer right? Two degrees or something and tell you to get on that thing and don't move, right? Then you know something's really wrong after that uh, when they put a lead vest on you. What's that for? And then you know it's really probably not good for you because uh, before he pushes the button, what do they do? You see, Tom, they ran out of the room. Give me a break. So how's this beneficial? Something dangerous is going on, all right? And so that's what they found. It's the x-rays, most of them died, okay? How many guys just say dead organisms have no babies? Right? So how could you have evolution? It's crazy. And even the ones that didn't die, their offspring had a tendency to die shortly thereafter. So it's not beneficial, okay? Uh, for instance, let me give you some examples. This is an actual picture of a person with a deformed foot. Eight toes, okay? Uh, now, ask yourself, in supposedly nature, as evolution would have us suppose, uh, is this really beneficial 
to this person in a nature setting, okay? Uh, this deformity probably inhibits him to run as fast as others, right? Think about it. Probably isn't going to be able to do that. It's going to inhibit it. So guess who's the first one who gets eaten by the lion, right? I mean, think about it. That didn't help the guy, right? It might be kind of neat and intriguing, but as far as, you know, natural selection and all that stuff, you're the first one to go. Here's some pictures of actual deformed frogs missing a leg, okay? Is this beneficial to the frog? No, I don't think so. Uh, first of all, how many guys realize that a one-legged frog only hops in circles? You're getting it. You're, I'm not going all the way around. because No, I don't think so, buddy. You're mutating over there. I'm leaving you by... You're not done cooking yet. But anyway, that's right, but we still love you. Give it up for Joey. I'll, I'll give you a hand clap. How you like that? Right. Feeling special. That's right. Not right. Okay, the hop in circles. Okay, that's cool. That's a neat thing. You might earn a couple bucks on the Las Vegas Strip with the one-legged frog. Give it to the youth. Help them out. All right, but granted, it's a cool trick, but guess who's the first one going to be eaten by the bird? The two-legged frogs are out of there. The one-legged frog, help, help. Right? How's that beneficial to the frog? As a mutation. Here's a picture, I'm not making this up, of a mutated sheep with short legs, the guy in the middle. Actually, it's a furry wiener dog, and I purchased one last. No, it's not. Okay, it kind of looks like it, and I almost would want one. But, you know, but I had to live in Alaska to get and justify that. But uh, anyway, so but uh, it's, uh, is this beneficial to the sheep? Again, put it back in an evolutionary setting, natural selection, all that stuff. Okay, who's the first guy who's going to get eaten by the wolf? Right? It's Bobby Shortlegs or whoever it is, the sheep. You know, he's, <laughs> he thinks he's going 50 miles an hour, but it's really two. Trust me, I got wiener dogs that look like that. They're flopping away. They think they're having fun, and they are still in the living room. <laughs> and they're breaking a sweat. He's the first one. How is that beneficial to this guy? Right? It doesn't help him. Okay? And therefore, the damaging effects on mutations do not help life evolve. Listen, they keep life from living, which is the opposite of evolution. So that's the damage problem. Now, here's the logic problem. Let's put this to the test. Okay? Evolutionists falsely believe that mutations, again, are beneficial but they also believe that they're a random accident. It just happens. Okay, and this random accident is somehow going to make this creature better. Really, let's apply this logic elsewhere with Joey's cousin to help us out. Sorry, buddy. All right, for instance, uh, if I randomly poked a stick, just, you know, it's just a random event, I randomly poked a stick into somebody's bike spokes as they were riding by, would that make their uh, bike ride more beneficial to them? Or would they turn out like this and be road pizza? Right? And then, of course, you'd be running as they chasing you to tell you how not beneficial that was to them, right? But that's just a random event. That, did that help? How many guys, when you got into an unexpected car wreck, discovered that afterwards, your car worked even better than before? And it's awesome. And, and because every time you get into a random car accident, uh, your car improves. And, and so the next time that you get in a wreck, what you do is you just, you just back up a little bit, if you can, smash that wall and back up and keep smashing about 18 times, Joey, about the 27th time, maybe over a million years, you'll end up with a Corvette because it's beneficial. It's, yeah, whatever. What you found out is your insurance bill went up, right? That wasn't beneficial, okay? That, that didn't help. All right, now, here's the, in all seriousness, though, here is what should be an evolution paradise, Chernobyl. Now, that did create mutations. That was radioactive, okay? I mean, surely with all that, it must be some sort of a paradise mutating all kinds of new life forms with evolution, right? No. The facts are, rather than creating new life, that event, and still to this day, is destroying life. Not beneficial at all. 800,000 children after that needed medical treatment. 10,000 people died. Land was destroyed for miles around. 
It caused still, and still causes birth defects in people and animals today. And there's been a massive rise in thyroid disease, anemia, and cancer in people. And through it all, no new species came into existence. Only the same ones that have always existed but are now damaged and dying. Didn't help that little boy out. Okay, not beneficial at all. So once again, that's right, Bobby. Open up a can of Dove. Um, isn't that funny? Jordan's not here. Bobby, here, give it for Bobby because this is like brilliant insight. I don't know if you've been watching, but the, every week uh, uh, we've been doing this can of duh, open up a can of duh, right? Bobby slowed it down, and you know Jordan's from Canada. It's like, why didn't we use this when he was here? Open up a can of duh. Oh, man, we missed it. But Jordan, if you're watching the video, we love you. All right, but anyway, so therefore, open up that can of duh, okay? And isn't it logical to say that since random mutations do not help an organism, but either damage or kill it, there's no way it could cause evolution, right? It's ridiculous, and yet they keep putting this baloney uh, in textbooks. And this is why apparently this geneticist, C.H. Waddington, said this in Science Today. They even admit it, folks. He said, this is really the theory that strikes me as a lunatic sort of logic, and I think we should be able to do better. Yeah, unless, of course, your theory is so bankrupt and full of lies that you have to have lies to support it. And that's exactly what we see. And then there's the fruit fry problem, because if you're paying attention, even in textbooks today, as far as I understand, they still use this as a positive example of mutations, the fruit fly, okay? So let's take a look at that. This is one of their most positive, supposed beneficial mutations, the fruit fly. Evolution is considered, first of all, the fruit fly, a great candidate for mutational experience because they breed very fast and their offspring matured in only a few days. You try it on people, obviously, if you want to find out what happened to the next generation, you've got to wait nine months, etc. But a fruit fly just a matter of days. So you can, you can find out real quick. And because of this rapid maturity rate, the experiments done on these fruit flies, uh, according to the evolutionists, exceeded the equivalent of millions of years of people living on earth, right? All right. So after decades of studying and killing and sterilizing tons of fruit flies, they actually produced literally about 400 different mutational features in the fly. So they did tweak the flies up. They messed them up. They mutated them right? On purpose, okay? Some had more wings, some had less wings, some had no wings, uh, some had more eyes, some had less eyes, some had more legs, some had less legs, and when all was said and done, guess what? Joey, the fruit fly was still a fruit fly. <laughs> After 80 years, folks, we paid for this. 80 years and millions of generations subjected to x-rays and chemicals causing mutations, all they ever produced were more fruit flies, okay? But not only that, listen to this, they not only noticed uh, that the survivors had, they had a tendency to go back to their original form. They leave them alone and they go back to God's original pattern. Researchers actually discovered that there was some kind of, quote, genetic repair mechanism that took over and kept evolution from taking place. Wow, that's interesting. Nanny, nanny, boo boo, in Jesus' name is what that uh, resents, that picture. So after 80 years and millions of generations, God was proven right. A fruit fly will always be a fruit fly. Then, of course, there's the quote problem. They admit it, folks, in their own camp. Herbert Nielsen, he said this, there is no single instance where it can be maintained that any of the mutants studied has a higher vitality than the mother species. There's no evidence for it. It is therefore absolutely impossible to build a current evolution on what? So then why do you put it in the textbook? Why do you have shows about it on the History Channel? Okay, they're lying, okay? Another guy, Paul deGrasse, he wrote this in Evolution of Living Organisms, quote, no matter how many numerous they may be, mutations do not produce any kind of evolution. It's a lie. Julian Huxley even said this in the major features of evolution. He said, obviously, such a process 
species change through mutations, has played no part whatsoever in evolution. Okay? So if he's saying, and even in their own campus saying, that mutations are zero evidence, no part, it doesn't work, it produces no results in evolution, how many guys are saying it probably doesn't produce any evolution? <laughs> right? Oh, you guys are being belligerent, unscientific, anti-intellectual Christians, you. No. We looked at the evidence. We even looked at the people in their own camp, and they admitted it's a bunch of baloney. And I'll say it again. I said it before, folks. If all you have is lies to support your theory, maybe it's time to get a new theory. And the only thing that I could figure based on the evidence, folks, is I think something has mutated all right. I think they've mutated the fact, right? And we're being lied to. And so that makes this supposed evolution by way of mutations another lie, okay? But that's not all. The next thing that they come up with is what's called, you know, this is how evolution is supposed to take place. Their mechanism is what's called vestigial organ, okay? As you can see, that's what happened with Big Bird uh, because vestigial means unused. So obviously they didn't need to use them anymore in the show. So this is his last gasp. And I will shut that off for those of you who are now mentally scarred because you love the Sesame Street and you're whatever. Anyway, whatever. But it was, I thought it was funny, Ron. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, but anyway, but the basic premise of vestigial organs, okay, if you guys recall this, it goes like this, okay? Darwin believed that since there seemed, seemed to be, keyword, because we'll get to that in a second, there seemed to be various organs in animals and even in people that were vestigial or meaning unused, okay, that this was proof of evolution. And the whole premise was that supposedly these unused organs are the leftover remnants of our non-human ancestor, Right? And we've evolved, and we've evolved, and we don't need them, and so that proves that evolution's happened, okay? In fact, as recent as 1997, Encyclopedia uh, Canica, you know, we don't even use encyclopedias nowadays. You just go to the internet. So back, this is back in 19... <laughs> Encyclopedia Britannica. It's obviously my tongue. It's vestigial tonight. So, but anyway, no. <laughs> They said this, whoever they were, back in 1997. The appendix does not serve any useful purpose as a digestive organ in humans, and it is believed to be gradually disappearing in the human species over evolutionary time. Really, we don't need our appendix. That's a lie. We'll get to that in a second, okay? But here's my question. Is this true? Are vestigial organs the leftover remnants of our evolutionary history evolving from animals and different... No, folks. It's a lie. Now, the reason why we disagree is because, once again, we are those belligerent Christians who are non-scientific. And No, we don't disagree just because the Bible says something different. We're going to do our homework. And the first problem that we have and why we disagree with this is certainly because it counteracts the Scripture, but also is there's a problem, once again, shocker, with the theory. Okay, so let's take a look at this whole vestigial organ idea, and you tell me if it's an, uh, another unused theory. It's a lie. Vestigial. Uh, the logic problem. Put this to test, folks. The whole theory of vestigial organs assumes that because something appears to be useless, then it's no longer needed, right? But think about this logic. You could live with both out, without both of your arms and without both of your legs, but does that mean you don't need them? No. What, what does that prove, okay? Then evolutionists say that all these supposed unused organs were inherited from a long line of ancestral creatures. And one of the most common examples, I just cited it uh, from that encyclopedia place, it was the appendix, <laughs> all right? But as it turns out, listen to this, logic, logic, put your thinking caps on. As it turns out, humans are not the only ones who have an appendix. So do wombats, rabbits, and opossums. All right, so stop and think about this. 
Does this mean we evolved from rabbits? Because they have an appendix, right? I mean, according to evolution, wouldn't that be logical? That's crazy, okay? But flip it around. They don't tell you this one. It also turns out that monkeys don't have an appendix. Ooh. So how could we have evolved from monkeys like the evolutionists say? If they don't have an appendix, but we do. They get, in fact, based on their reasoning and on the appendix, monkeys must be a higher evolved creature, and they actually evolved from us. Right? Can't have it both ways. Just that messes everything up, okay? And that's exactly the opposite of what they say. Then there's the appendix problem. Let's examine that. Evolutionists actually suggest, again, that the appendix is unused, a vestigial organ, a useless leftover remains of a supposed early herbivore ancestor. But is it really useless? No. Uh, it, as it turns out, the appendix is a part of our immune system. Uh, it helps fight off against infections. In fact, it's now known, I read one report, that said it may even play a part in preventing cancer. Okay, the appendix. Oops, I'd say that's kind of important. Uh, so open up a can of, duh, and uh, you can take it out. Yeah, people have taken them out. But that doesn't mean it's useless, and it doesn't mean it's not needed. So how does that prove anything? It certainly doesn't prove evolution. It's a bunch of baloney. Then there's the eye problem. Charles Darwin actually said the semi-lunar fold in our eye was completely useless. you got to be kidding me. However, we now know it's needed to cleanse and lubricate our eyeball. Okay, so that's Mike Crone theory there. That's why Ron, he went south because he had a crusty eyeball and he couldn't read the Bible correctly and made stuff up and whatever. But let's move on. How about the tonsils? They say those are, we don't need those, right? Uh, I don't think so. They also say that that's a useless organ, but it's now known that our tonsils, yes, they do, folks, serve a valuable purpose. They protect, uh, protect against throat, uh, against infections, especially until adolescence, and again, so, so therefore, so much for being useless. How about the glands? This is insane, okay? Various glands, evolution said, were considered to be absolutely useless. According to them, like the, listen to this, the thymus gland, the pineal gland, the thyroid gland. Anybody ever on medication for that because that gland is, uh, yeah, uh, the pituitary glands. And as it turns out, obviously the thymus gland protects our bodies from infections. The pineal gland secretes important hormones such as melatonin uh, for proper brain functioning. The thyroid gland is essential to normal body growth and affects our metabolism and our body activity. And finally, the pituitary gland acts as a master gland. You really need that guy. And he controls the skeletal growth, the proper functioning of all the other glands, the thyroid, the adrenals, and reproductive gland. You need that thing, okay? How many guys would like to have a doctor who still believes in vestigial organs? You don't need that. Take that out. You take this. Absolutely crazy. Thank you for that effect, Bobby. And the teeth. You hear this one? I'll bring this one up. Because some people have problems with their wisdom teeth and have to have them removed, evolution say, oh, this is proof of a vestigial organ because we no longer need those teeth, right? Well, first of all, many people still have uh, useful, healthy wisdom teeth. I actually have all my wisdom teeth. So that's my theory as to why I speak so fast. This is I got four more teeth than the rest of you. And I'm putting them to use. And I chew lots of gum. So anyway, right? No, I still have my teeth, so that doesn't prove anything. It doesn't happen to everybody. So that's a lie, number one. But all this shows, folks, is that wisdom teeth represent not uselessness. Oh, man, I, just, I had to show. I have to. And this is why I put it up here, Joey. Joey, this is your teeth. This is your teeth on chicken. See, you knew exactly where I was going with that, all right? <laughs> right, let's just close in prayer. And then on that, no, let's move on. No, it doesn't mean they're useless, as evolution would say. It just, it's a physical weakness, like failing eyesight. Does that mean you don't need your eyeballs? 
when you get old? No. Or hard need the artery? Well, I guess you don't need the heart because you've got a heart. No. Okay, it's crazy. Therefore, wisdom teeth do not suggest poor design, okay, or uselessness, as evolution would say, but rather prove a fallen state from a perfect creation. We're breaking down because of sin. Okay, it has nothing to do with evolution. Then there's the tailbone problem, okay? The tailbone's actually supposed to be another useless organ, but man, is this thing extremely useful. I mean, big time useful. First of all, it's at the bottom of our spine, and without it, you can't hardly sit down, let alone comfortably. How many guys have ever tapped that thing or smacked that thing or whatever, and you lost your breath immediately? <gasps> and then it uh, hurts for a long time. You need that a tailbone, okay? Furthermore, the tailbone acts as an uh, attachment for our pelvic organs so they won't collapse. How many guys hate it when your organs collapse? I mean, you're just walking down the road. It's a great sunny day in Vegas. Boom! Yeah, the reason why it doesn't happen by and large is because you need that thing, okay? You're, that's what keeps it all together from God. It also serves as an anchor for muscles and tendons that play an important role in giving birth, leg movement, and that's right, bowel movement, okay? You need that thing, okay? In fact, whatever you do, don't leave home without it, like this guy shares. Let's take a look at this. This textbook says the whale has a vestigial pelvis. This is a lie. Those bones are anchor points that special muscles attach to. And without those special bones and those special muscles, the whales cannot reproduce. Male and female, whales have different bones in that region for to support different muscles for different reasons. This has nothing to do with walking on land. It has to do with getting baby whales. Okay? So the people that are writing this in the textbooks are either ignorant of whale anatomy or they're lying trying to push their theory. I hope they're just ignorant. That we can fix. If they're lying, they ought to get a different job picking peaches or changing tires. They got no business taking tax dollars to lie to the kids coming through their class. The snake. I happen to have a 15 and a half foot python snake skin in my museum in Pensacola, Florida. If you look at the south end of that python, you will see it has two little bitty claws. Those claws are attached to little tiny bones going up inside the snake's body. That's a fact, okay? They have them. Textbook says these are rudimentary hind legs of a python snake. He mentioned that earlier, that the snake uh, pelvis is evidence for evolution. Look, those little claws and those little bones have nothing to do with walking on land. The snakes use those claws in mating, okay? They don't have any arms, right? And they can't talk. <laughs> they can't talk and say, screw it over, honey, okay? This has nothing to do with walking on land. So the people that are saying the snake has a vestigial leg are ignorant of snake anatomy or are lying trying to push a theory off. Okay, but it's not true. They use those bones and those little muscles. This textbook says the appendix is vestigial. This is ludicrous, okay? This is a lie. The appendix is not vestigial. You do need your appendix, okay? The appendix is part of your immune system. It's true you can live without it. You can also live without both your legs and both your arms and both your eyes. That doesn't prove you don't need them, okay? If your appendix is taken out, you have a much better chance of getting quite a few diseases, and something else in the immune system has to work harder. It's like losing a finger. You can still have a grip, but now the rest of the fingers have to work harder. If somebody tells you the appendix is vestigial, they are either confused about their anatomy or they're lying to you, but it's not true. One guy told me, he said, up at Berkeley, he said, I think the tailbone is vestigial. I said, well, I taught biology and anatomy. I happen to know there are nine little muscles that attach to the tailbone, without which you cannot perform some valuable functions. I won't tell you what they all are, but trust me, you need those muscles. Get your Gray's Anatomy. Now, if you believe the tailbone is vestigial, then I will pay to have yours removed. Okay? Bend over. This textbook says the coccyx is a small bone at the end of the human vertebral column that has no present function and is thought to be the remainder of bones that once occupied the long tail of a tree-living ancestor. Either these authors are ignorant of anatomy or they're lying. I don't see another option. 
Based on the track record we've seen for the last several weeks, which option do you think it is? They're lying. That's how bankrupt this is, folks. Just because you have the power to print it in a textbook doesn't make it true. Okay? It's a bunch of baloney. Therefore, it's painfully obvious there's no such thing as a useless vestigial organ in our body. It's a bunch of baloney. And again, they admit it. William Strauss, he said this in biology back in 1947. This is how long they've known this, folks. There is no longer any justification for regarding the appendix as a vestigial structure. 47. And it's still in textbooks today. That's a bunch of baloney. Scatty, he said this in evolutionary theory. He says, as our knowledge has increased, the list of vestigial structures has what? Decreased, okay? Even the current short list of vestigial structures in humans is questionable since it's not possible to unambiguously identify useless structures and since the structure of the argument used is not scientifically valid, I conclude that vestigial organs provide no special evidence for the theory of evolution. So why do you still use it for evidence of evolution? It's a bunch of baloney, folks. And this guy said this. He says, not too long ago, man was imputed to have 180 vestiges. Right? 180 of them. Organs like the appendix, the tonsils, the thymus, the pineal gland, the thyroid gland were on the list. Today, all former vestigial organs are known to have some function during the life of the individual. If the organ has any function at any time, it cannot be rudimentary or vestigial. And I love this quote. He said, as man's knowledge has increased, of the list of vestigial organs has decreased. So really, what was vestigial? Was it not man's rudimentary knowledge of the intricacies of the body? In other words, shouldn't you just taken God's word for it? Right? That, that's what was useless. You, you didn't want to listen to God. And once again, he's proving you wrong. Okay? How many guys would say that the only thing that's vestigial coming out of this is maybe a vestigial brain cell or two or a page in the textbook or something. Folks, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely a bankrupt. And I'll say it again, folks. Uh, if all you have is lies to support your theory, maybe it's time to be honest and get a new theory. Why? Stop and think about this. This is really going on right now today, even here in Las Vegas, in public school. Why do they continue to push this? The same Bible that they reject and scoff at said that in the last days, people are going to become willingly ignorant to the facts and believe in a lie just so they can follow their ungodly desire. We're living in those days, folks. Our schools are flooded with it, okay? And so based on this track record, how many guys would say that I don't care what supposed mechanisms they have for evolution, uh, they're all probably a bunch of baloney. Yeah, they are. But we got two more out there that they have. We've been talking about several different times, transitional forms and the latest theory that they've come up, one of the latest ones, is a theory called punctuated equilibrium. I mean, that's hard to even spell, so it's got to be true. Right? No, no. Lord willing, we'll take a look at that uh, next week. Be here for that as we conclude this section, and then off we go to the boat ride. Knowing the flood. So let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go... Let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell 
and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God 
raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.